If you can take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And you'll probably want to keep a finger, page, note in this passage. We'll be coming back to it a little bit later. Galatians chapter 2, and we'll start our scripture reading this morning in verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are all Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may, have, may be justified by faith in Christ and not of, the, not of the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Let's pray for the mercy. Father, we just uh, pray that you'd be with the pastor as he brings the word this morning and pray that we would take it into our hearts. Just ask that you do a mighty working and help us to Take the message from here as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. We are continuing... In our study of the book of Romans, we are in chapter 7. Okay, I thought I'd hear more. We are in chapter 7. For those of you that thought we'd never make it, we are in chapter 7. 
We have done it. We've come a long ways. Last week, we studied about how the benefits of being a slave to righteousness. We talked about the new shame that comes over past acts of rebellion. We talked about a new state of grace that brings freedom. We talked about a new authority to guide my life. We talked about a new relationship with holiness. We talked about a new life and a future hope that we have because of grace. Because of being a slave to righteousness. Because of sanctification. We have all these things going on for us. Now, chapter 7 starts. Chapter 7 seems to deal with the law. The law. Now, let's go back so you probably don't remember chapter 2 of Romans, because it was a while ago. Go to chapter 2 of Romans, verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. We need to look at one of the first occurrences of the law in the book of Romans. It has a place upon our study this morning, so we have to pay attention to it. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In other words, seems that everybody is under the law. Everybody is under the law. Uh, the Jews are under the law because they were given the law by God. And they broke it and couldn't live up to it. And they committed sins because they broke the law. Gentiles were given the law in their conscience, and they broke their conscience. They sinned. We talked about how everyone sins because of their relationship to breaking the law. Now, very interesting word in the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1. It says, or... Or, or refers back to chapter 6. Thank you. Somebody whispered it. Let's go back to where the or goes back to. The or goes back to chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14. Okay? Verse 14. Now, this is another aspect of the law. He begins talking about the law in, in chapter 6, verse 14, and then goes off rabbit trail for the rest of the chapter 6. But we go back here to chapter 6, verse 14. Everybody there? For sin shall not be the master over you. The word master means master. It's some, somebody you have as an authority over your life. You are a believer and are not supposed to have sin master over you, for you are not under the law. In other words, if you're under the law, sin will be your master. Because when you are under the law, either the law in your heart as a Gentile or the written law as a Jew, you will break it. You will break it. Remember I've told you many times about my oldest child when we made the the chocolate chip cookies, and they're on the counter, and mom said to them, 
don't touch my chocolate chip cookies. They have to cool. And mom comes back into the kitchen, and guess what's all over his mouth? Chocolate everywhere. Because he heard the law, and he broke the law. And that's the natural thing sin does in our lives. It breaks the law. For Verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Under the law or under grace. There are two things to be an authority over your life, either grace or law. If you are a believer, you're under grace and not under law. If you're a non-believer, you're under the law and not under grace. If you're a believer, you're under grace, not under the law. Leads us to our first question this morning. What will be the authority? What authority is true of every believer? Every believer is under the authority of grace. The authority of grace. You are under grace. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you repented of your sins, if you have your faith in Jesus Christ, if God the Father has called you, if, 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 all those things, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian, then you are under grace. The authority of your life is grace. The authority of your life is grace. The believer is to be obedient to a new king. Not the law, not sin. Grace. No single sin of any kind is to be master over a believer. You are not to be controlled by any sin. But you fall into sin. But those are not to control you. They're not to be your master. To be under sin meant that people are subject to the rule of that issue that leads them. That master. Sin is not to be your leader if you're a believer. You are to be under grace. Therefore, your life will be different from everybody else in this world who is under law. The believer is to be obedient to his new power. He is to be under grace. Grace enables the believer to live a resurrected life. Grace allows you to live righteously. Grace allows you to say no to unrighteousness. Grace is bestowed upon you by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Grace comes to you and gives you the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The Holy Spirit will give you power to do the righteous thing. The Holy Spirit will give you power to say no to sin. The believer will be under the power of grace, and therefore you will desire to do the righteous thing. You'll want to do the righteous thing. A believer is identified with Jesus Christ and his death, so the believer is no longer under the power and authority of sin. So, everybody with me? Is everybody with me? Here we go. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the law is not your master. Because if law was your master, you would end up being just like all the other non-believers in the world, and you will sin. You cannot help it. You will want to sin. You will desire to sin. You will sin. You will do it. 
There will be no problem with you sinning. You will want it. A believer is under grace. Being under grace, you have different desires because of the Holy Spirit's power that comes and controls your life. You yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants you to do the righteous thing. The Holy Spirit wants you to do the thing that's non-sinful and wants you to please God with everything that you have in your life. Everybody with me? Chapter 7. Ready? Here we go. Verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Okay? Let me say that again. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. This is the statement that, John, that Paul is making about the law. The law that makes you a slave to sin. The law that makes you sin more. That law is has jurisdiction over you, control over you, masters over you, as long as you live. As long as you live. What are the purposes of the law? I'm going to give you five purposes of the law. Five things the law will do for you. Here you go. Number one. The law has authority over every non-believer. The law has authority over every non-believer. <laughs> These are truths. These are self-evident truths. You look at a believer, you can tell. You look at a non-believer, you can tell. The law has every non-believer under its authority. Or, this one word helps us understand the chapter. It connects the continuing to describe the change between the person under law and under grace. That's the purpose of the entire chapter 7. It will teach you about the law. It will teach you the difference between a person under the law and a person that's under grace. <clears throat> it shows you in chapter 7 how to be delivered from the law. He talks to the, believe, the brethren in Rome, the believers, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he says, hey, not know, you do not know, all people should have some measure or understanding of the law, the Old Testament law. You know. You, you know the law. You know what the law does. You know. Everyone in this room knows the law. You had a parent that told you the law, taught you the law, and you broke the law. You know the law. You know the law. You think some of the signs you see as you drive home today will have instructions for other people, but for, not for you. You know. You think the law for the taxes is written for somebody else, not for you. You think the rules apply to others, but not to you. We know the law. And the law has every non-believer under their authority. That's why we have a hard time in our society trying to get non-believers to act righteously. 
That's why we can make laws that will make them act righteously, and they'll break those laws. And when we get unrighteous people that are a majority, they will create laws that are unrighteous. So we have this common knowledge that we understand that everybody falls under in relationship to law. The law controls every non-believer. You know the law. The believer knows from experience some of the major changes that take place in our spiritual life when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We talked about that last week. When you change, in the book of Romans, by justification, by faith alone, you become in harmony with the law. You're able to do the things of the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. The law wasn't given to impart righteousness, but to reveal sin. And guess what? In our society today, the law is well at work. This world shows sin. The works of the law are written in the Old Testament for the Jews and on the hearts of the Gentile, so that everybody knows the law and they break the law and sin. The jurisdiction over a person. The law has complete control over every non-believer on this earth. Complete control. And it will be in complete control until that person, that non-believer, dies. Uh, rabbis, Jewish rabbis used to teach that if a person is dead, he is free from the Torah and fulfilling the commandments of the law. <laughs> if you're dead, you don't have to keep the law. If you're dead, you don't have to obey the, the road signs on the way home. If you're dead, you don't have to pay your taxes. If you're dead, the law does not apply. Everybody with me? Here we go, number two. Verse two. For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. The justified believer is not controlled by the law of Moses. Verses 2 and 3 are not an allegory. They're not a parable. They're an illustration of verse 1. An illustration of verse 1. What are the purposes of the law? Number 2. Purpose of the law. The law keeps every believer bound to sin keeps every believer bound to sin it keeps everybody bound to sin that's what the law does it binds you and binds you and binds you and shows you your sinfulness it will keep you in control by sin it will keep you in, under the control of the law it will keep you in control of doing more sinful things you will not even have to plan to do sinful things you will do them because you're bound to the law now in verse 2 paul comes up with an illustration he thought of the person in that day and age that had the least amount of freedom and that person was the wife. Now you have to understand, back in that day and age, 
a young lady would get married at 13, 14, or 15 years of age. If she got to 16, she was way beyond marriage years. So they got married early. Usually they were married to a guy about 10, 12 years older than them. Because he had to wait for the girls to grow to get to 13, 14, 15, so he can marry them. The girls would then be in a relationship with that husband. And in that community, the husband would rule the wife. He would make loving commands and he would make unloving commands. And the woman that had freedom was not the wife. She had no freedom. By the way, the husband had freedom. If he didn't like the woman, guess what he could do? He could write on a piece of paper and divorce her. Could the wife do that? No, she couldn't. She was a person bound to that husband. And who usually picked the husband? It was usually her parents that picked the husband. So she would be given to another family when she's 13, 14, 15 years old, and she would be given to this man and who was older than her, and she didn't love him, she didn't like him, but she would be married to him. He would become the authority over the wife, and she would have to obey and submit to that authority. She had no other option. She had to obey. Paul picks the person with the least amount of freedom. And the first person that came to mind was a wife. <clears throat> the law keeps every believer bound to sin. I found a couple pastors back in uh, 1902 that came up with a theory of who the illustrations were in this verse. And the pastors, I agree with them, the truth, uh, they came to the conclusion that the wife is the true self. In other words, the true believer, the true nature. She has uh, the, the Holy Spirit within her. She is the one that is bound by the law. And she has a problem. The married woman's under the leadership of her husband. The law teaches one woman bound to one man in marriage. Perfect tense, bound. Perfect tense. There is a requirement of talking about marriage and how the requirement is ended at death. Ended at death. The culture of that day, the woman had less freedom than anybody else. <clears throat> By the law, the law revealed the sinner cannot live up to holy standards that God has. By the law. Under the law, there can be a future, no other future under the law, but the lake of fire. So, this woman is set in this marriage, not by her choice, not by her love, not by her emotions. She's set into it almost like a business contract, and she is stuck. She has no freedom. She has no freedom. No freedom. Third thing, end of verse 2. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law concerning the husband. She released from the law concerning her husband. Third, what's the purpose of the law? Third, the law requires death to purchase a believer's freedom 
from the law. The law requires a death to purchase a believer's freedom from the law. Now, in order for the woman to be made free from her husband, her husband has to die. If her husband's dead, she is, what I'd say in Sunday school, an unwife. There you go. An unwife. She is made by death of her husband. She is made free and she is not married any longer. She does not have to go to her husband and ask his leadership. She doesn't have to submit to his leadership. She doesn't have to do anything her dead husband says to do. She's free. She's free. She's free. She's been released. The pastors in 1902 thought the husband was the old self, the old nature. That non-believer still under the law. In order to be let out of the old nature, there has to be a death. There has to be a death. The death changes the relationship between the wife and the husband. The wife does not seek a dead husband's leadership decision and then act upon them. She cannot do what her dead husband says to do because he's not saying anything. She's not under that control anymore. She's not under that law anymore. Death allows a living person to enter into a new relationship. She is free. She is free. <clears throat> Real death brings freedom to a person under the law. She is released from the law. By the way, the word release is perfect tense. It means a past action that has a permanent effect every day. From that day of his death, she's free every day. She's released. It's null and void. That's what the word means, released. To consider completely null and void. Husband death puts an effect on her wifehood, so she no longer has any claim on her. She's not a wife of anyone because her husband's dead. Point of the illustration is that the person may be set free from the law without an effort or an act on his part, her part. She doesn't have to do anything. She didn't kill her husband. She didn't file a, a written divorce against her husband. She didn't take her husband to court. She didn't do anything. She was made free because her husband died. In order for you to be a believer and be free from the law, somebody has to do something for you. Somebody has to do something for you. Just like something happened for this woman to be free. Her husband died. <clears throat> and it's completely passive. It's not a work that she does. The death of another person places the power for that woman to be free from her husband. Verse 3. Verse 3. So then... If while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she will be called an adulteress. What's the purpose of the law? Number four, what's the purpose of the law? The law produces more sin in the world. Everybody talks about how to get 
peace in the world. You know, you, you hear it every once in a while. Somebody says, we need more peace in the world. We need to have peace. We need to be peace. There needs to be peace. And the way you have peace in the world, nobody ever does. And in order to get peace in the world, you have to get rid of the law. As long as you have law, you will never have peace. And guess what? Even if you got rid of all the unwritten laws, you would still have a conscience, which would still give you a, an unwritten law. And you'd want to break that. And you still have sin. So then, if her husband is living, okay, so now we're going a different rate on the illustration, the husband is still alive. If the husband's still alive, let's say the wife has had enough with him, doesn't want to be married to him, and she goes out, she runs away, and she marries another person. According to the law, what she has done is she's now an adulteress. She's now sinned. She's now done contrary to what the law said to do. Death did not occur. She is still bound to the first husband. She is still under the control and leadership of the first husband. Law produces more sin, more sin, more sin. The pastors back in 1902 came up with the idea of the law that is, that is which condemned the old self. It's the law which condemned the old self. In other words, the old sin nature is condemned by the law because the law proves the sin. Proves the sin. While the husband is living... The adulteress will be held accountable for breaking the law if she goes and gets married to another person if she still has a living first husband. Sinners live under the power of sin, which only leads to death. She is joined to another man. She's having a physical relationship with another man. She will be known publicly as a breaker of the law and an adulteress. If she does something to be free from the law, the law will convict her as guilty. She broke the law. So it's guilty. She will be called an adulteress, an adulteress, an offender of the law. The law condemns the non-believer. In other words, the law will call you guilty. So if you're under the law, you sin, you're guilty. You're under the law, you sin, you're guilty. If you're a believer, <laughs> the interesting thing here happens that the husband dies. Therefore, if you get married to somebody else, you're not guilty. You have freedom because you're under grace. Here we go, number five. What are the purposes of the law? Number five, verse three. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. She's free from the law. And she has freedom, and she can marry somebody else, if she wants. Number five, the law was fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ. So the new authority is grace for the believer. The law was fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ, so that the new authority is grace for the believer. By the way, how did Christ do it? He lived a life perfect under the law, and then he what? He died. 
and by the work of God the Father, raised him from the dead, gave him a right-hand throne of God. Jesus is the one who died for you to be free from law. You were that wife. You had no freedom. You were under the law. You sinned. You were guilty. You were guilty. You were guilty. Under the law, you sinned. You were guilty. But Christ, by no effort of your part, by no work of your part, by all the efforts of God through Jesus Christ, he died voluntarily. Remember that on the cross? He gave up his spirit. Remember that? That's great. He gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit so that he could die for you. By the way, whose sins did he die for? It wasn't his sins. He lived a perfect life. Everybody said so. They knew it. But he took upon him our sins so that you could be alive. So that you could be free from the law. So that you could live under grace. So that you could live a different life. So that you could not be guilty. So you could stand before God one day after you die be in his heaven, and he says, why do I let you into my heaven? You say, because I am not guilty by the work of Jesus Christ, who died for me so that I could be saved. And I have been living under grace my whole life since that day when I heard the gospel message. I live under grace. The law was fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ, so that you have a new authority, and it's grace that you live under. You have a new marriage. Here you go. (laughs) You wives, you oppressed wives, all of you, you are a widow now, and you've been given a new husband. That new husband is grace. You have grace. You have a new marriage. And your union is with grace. Death changes the relationship between the wife and the husband. The wife is able to marry grace. The wife is free and ends the relationship with the law and begins a new relationship with grace. The work of sanctification begins with the surrender of your life to a new master, grace. That surrender to that new life begins your sanctification. The believer's will is under the power of grace. Therefore, the believer wants to do the righteous thing, not because you have to to earn your way to heaven, but because of the death of Jesus Christ, you respond by grace. You don't go to the speed limit because you don't want to get a ticket. You go to the speed limit because you want to live under grace. You want to live under grace. So she's not an adulteress. A widow can never be guilty of adultery against her dead husband. She's joined to another man. She'll be perfectly legal and acceptable. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. I told you to keep a paper in there, a bookmarker or something. I told you we'd go back. We're going back. Here we go. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, I want you to drop down to verse 19. 
verse 19. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. Yay. So that I might live to God. Here we go. Let's do it again. For through the law, I died to the law. Yay. So that I might live to God. Praise God. I died. Because of the law. I had to die because of the law. If I did not die to the law, I'm still under the law. If you've never died to the law, you're still in your sins. If you've never died to the law, you're still in your sins. And one day you'll face a time in the lake of fire. Sorry. If you're under the law, that's where you're headed. But if you're under the law, you die to the law. Yay. You die to the law. You are alive to freedom. And you're alive to be married to somebody else. And in this verse it says to God. You're alive to God. The death of Jesus Christ allows me to die to legalism and sin. Law demands death for those who break it. But Christ paid the death penalty for you. And you can live in Christ and in God. You be married to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. That maybe made you scratch your head when you read it before, but after you read Romans, that makes perfect sense. After you read Romans, that makes perfect sense. You had to be crucified with Christ. If you were not crucified with Christ, you would not be free. You would not be under grace. You had to die. Why? Because the law demands you die. The law demands you die. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. I have a new freedom that comes from Christ. I live in him. Everything I have, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I live in in the flesh. I still have the flesh, even though I've, I've been died by my faith in the death of Jesus Christ. I die. My faith, I live in Christ. I live now. I am alive now. I have faith in the Son of God's work on the cross. I have faith. And I love. I know love for the first time in my life. I know love. I experience love. And I can love others because I love God. I love God. I love others. I love others because he gave himself up for me. The death of Jesus Christ allows me to be crucified with him. And the death of Jesus Christ allows me to live with him. And grace will control my life. The death of Jesus Christ allows me to experience the love of God. The affection for God feeds my love for others. So I can supernaturally love others because God loved me. God loved me. Here you go. Will I understand that the purpose for the law is to convict the world of sin and actually produce more sin? And the point, the only solution of grace 
comes from Jesus Christ. The only way to grace is through Jesus Christ. The only way of sanctification is through Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. And it has to be something you do not do. It has to be done by him. Passive tense. What you do, you learn because of the law. That you need a savior because I can't keep the law. Death ends the law like a marriage. No one's allowed to cheat on the law. You have to die. And then you can be married again to grace. Your relationship with the law has changed when death occurs. Either you die with Jesus Christ on the cross and you're crucified with him or else you're still in your sins. The purpose of the law, law has authority over every non-believer. The law has, keeps every non-believer bound to sin. The law requires death. The law produces more sin. The law was fulfilled by the work of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I said, wife, you're not going to cook me breakfast this Saturday. Wife, I'm going to take you out to IHOP. Oh, come on. I thought I'd get some pats on the back for that. I took my wife out for breakfast yesterday morning. Yay. Okay, thank you. Jeeper, creeper, tough crowd. I took her out to IHOP. And she ordered food that she did not have to cook. Yay. Okay. <clears throat> but it made me remember one time I took her to IHOP a long time ago. Oh, not yet. No clap for that. Wait a minute. I'm getting there. It was a bad situation. She ordered orange juice and a German pancake. You ever have a German pancake? They're funny looking. Okay, good. Glad you have them. Orange juice and a German pancake. The orange juice came first, and you know what she found in her orange juice? A long hair was inside floating in her orange juice. Ugh. Bad orange juice. So anyway, we get her another orange juice. We think, okay, well, you're going to get a German pancake. You love German pancakes. Here we go. German pancake. And you know what happened when she got her German pancake? She had a different hair in it. It was from a different person. Different color hair. Right in her German pancake. Ooh, boo. Now, if, well, I won't pick on her. If the law was controlling my life, what would be my normal response? I would throw things, break things, scream, yell, demand that the hair be matched to which cook, and demand uh, not, not just my money back, not just a gift card. I would demand to sue you for every pancake you have, I hop. That's what I would do, right? That's what's going on today. I mean, if you could sue McDonald's for a hot cup of coffee, you could probably sue anything for anything. But I am not under law. I am under grace. 
Therefore, I have to act differently because I have a different master and grace is that master. Therefore, we react differently. And we show who our master is by our actions. We have opportunities this week with every action that occurs in our lives to show who our master is. And you will show just two masters. One will be law and one will be grace. If you have died to the law, you have the power to show your master is grace. And you will react differently. I went to a breakfast one time, another breakfast, with a lady who was one of the leaders at the church of the women's ministry, and she was a big to-do. And she complained that her lightly brown toast was burnt. And she threw a fit in that restaurant, and everybody in that restaurant knew her because she was throwing a fit. Now, I don't care how many times she's been to church, but she was not showing who her master was. You get an opportunity this week to show who your master is. Law or grace. Only two options. Law or grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you, Father, for this illustration Paul gives us that shows we can die to the law and be free. Father, I pray that you would help us to live as if we are free from the law because of the death of Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law. And help us, Father, to live as grace is our master. Help us to be graceful to others. Help us be graceful to ourselves. Help us be graceful to you. Help us to surrender our power of living to the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to be an example of a follower of grace. Help us in our study, Father, the rest of the chapter 7, talking about the law. Help us to understand, Father, that we have to die to the law. Give us the power to explain this to other people that we'll meet this week who are bound to the law and eventually will be bound to a lake of fire. Help us to share with them, Father, how to get out of the relationship with law. All glory goes to you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.